Hey guys, welcome to episode 7 of the Get British Lit podcast with Miss Garrett and Mrs. Wood. Hey y'all, so I'm reporting from a different location today. I'm at home with my child, Jerona19, who's got COVID. Jerona. Jerona19. And today we're going to talk about Pride and Prejudice. Which you should already be reading. Yep, we should currently, let's see, today is the second, so y'all should be reading chapters five through eight today. Um, which, you know, I am currently working on annotations for chapters five through eight. Ask me what chapter I'm on, Ms. Lid. What chapter are you on this year? Five. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, at least you've made it that far. Hopefully our students are actually reading what they're supposed to be reading and keeping up with the calendar. I just want to put this out there. It is imperative that you keep up with the calendar because you're going to have to read about 12 chapters per week to finish the novel um, before you leave us and move on to second semester. So it is crucial that you keep up with the chapters and the assignments daily so that you don't get so far behind that you're drowning in uh, Elizabeth Bennett and Mr. Darcy, which they would be, they're so fun to drown yourself in. Anyway. For real, Elizabeth Bennett needs to chill. Uh, ah, I had to throw that in there. I had to. Um, okay, <laughs> but like, the cool thing about that is like, even though you have to read 12 chapters a week, is that it's a suit, like the chapters are super short. They, they are. don't last very long at all. Um, but that being said, um, we're going to start out with a sort of first impressions episode. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to do a couple more episodes on Pride and Prejudice because it's just a great novel and I want to talk about it a lot. Um, but th this episode is just going to be based on just like first impressions. Number one, first impression of the novel itself. Um, the first time we read the novel. So, uh, what was your first impression the first time you read the novel, Miss Wood? I'm going to be really honest with you. I think the first time that I read it, it was a forced assignment. And mm. it was just kind of one of those things, like, just get through it for the class. Um, but now that I'm older and I read it, um, the first thing that comes to mind for me is Elizabeth Bennett being, like, the feminist kind of character and me, I, I consider myself a feminist but not a crazy feminist and I just love that she's so ahead of her time and she is outspoken and sassy and just different from women of that time period. Um, so really, I guess like me having a lot in common with Elizabeth Bennett makes me enjoy the novel as a whole even more. And I like toxic men, so Mr. Darcy <laughs> just does it for me. So I'm like, yes, I love this novel. Mr. Wow. Darcy, yes, you're so toxic. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, so I think as I've grown older, I've developed more of a love for it. Um, but my first impression was, oh, my God, can we just hard to get this over with because I was a young student in high school. And uh, I don't think I really understood it fully then. Yeah, I don't think honest. I did either. When I was, I'm going to be real honest, I watched the movie before I read the book, which I almost never do. Like, my big thing is read the book before you watch the movie. But 
the 2005 version came out when I was in high school. That's giving away my age a little bit. Um, so I watched. Okay, I had already graduated. <laughs> Y'all late. <laughs> but the movie is, yeah. Yes, the 2005 version, I will say, probably follows the novel the closest. Um, but that was my first exposure to Pride and Prejudice. Um, so obviously, I watched that movie and I was like, oh, my God, I love Mr. Darcy. I have to read the book. Um, so I got the book and I started reading it. I was probably, gosh, you know what? I was in middle school when that thing came out. My bad. I started reading the novel in high school. <laughs> Leave me alone. I'm a baby. Um, yeah, no, I was actually in middle school when the movie came out, but I loved it so much. So I read the novel in high school. It was not a forced read. Um but I got like three chapters in and I put it, I, it was a did not finish for me because I was like, oh my God, I don't understand anything they're saying. This is horrible. I hate it. I'm not reading this anymore. Right, right. I get that. I thought about like forced reads. I could do a whole podcast in itself on how forced reading kind of keeps us from loving. Reading. And reading and all that. Um, so I think that like that were very similar in that because it was forced on us, we were just kind of like, meh, this thing. Um, well, that's but what I'm saying, though. Like, it wasn't forced on me, and I still hated it. But now, this is probably the second time I've gone back and read it. And now that I'm reading it, and I kind of understand British Lit a, bit, a little bit better, right. and I have more of an understanding of, like, how they spoke back then, all I can think, like, at least through the first four chapters is, oh, my God, Mrs. Bennett is so annoying, but I'm loving all the drama she's creating. No, she's like this busybody, overbearing, like, mom. Chill out. I thought my mother was embarrassing as a teenager. Nah. Like, following me around. This woman is, like, on a mission to find the richest guy and marry her daughters to all of them. And she's just like, hey, here's my daughter. Isn't she cute? Want to date oh, her? You don't like this one? Here's this one. Right. I have five of them. I have four more. <laughs> Check this beauty out. Like, she's just too much. Like, the next model? You're a used car salesman. <laughs> That's exactly what she reminds me of. Like, oh, my God. Elizabeth Bennett doesn't need to chill. Mrs. Bennett needs to oh, chill. Jesus. Anyway, that kind of leads us into the next kind of section. Uh, who did we think the main characters were when we started reading? Like the first time we were going through it the first time and we're in the first couple of chapters. Who did you think the main characters were? Oh, Jane and Mr. Bingley. Absolutely. I mean, we start the novel with Mr. Bingley rents the place. I'm like, okay, well, we're going to be talking about this guy, Mr. Bingley and Jane, but really it, it develops into way more than that. And they're actually secondary characters. Yep. So, yeah, I'm going to agree with you there. I totally thought Jane and Mr. Bingley were the main characters when I first read it. Um, even after having seen the movie and knowing that they weren't, I still thought that when I read the book for the first time. I'm like, well, then why did they make the movie all about Elizabeth? Because, you know, I only got through like four chapters to start with. You put it away. Um, 
also like a little bitty part of me thought that maybe um mr and mrs bennett were gonna be really big characters because you start out it talks about mr bingley but literally the only person who the person who takes up the most page space in the first four chapters is mrs bennett because she talks so much well the overbearing mother yeah role, which would, would, would you consider her secondary I feel like she is a main character up into up until a certain point and then she just kind of drops off. So I think I feel like she's a pretty a pretty integral character, one of the main characters, but it's like as soon as Darcy and Elizabeth find some connection and Bingley and Jane are on the right track, she kind of falls off yeah. until the stuff hits the fan. And then she's back in action. I definitely feel like she's a necessary character because she's the one who gets the ball rolling on the whole novel. Like she starts us off. She is the like if I have to break it up into main characters per chapter, she's probably the main character of the first three chapters. Easy, right? Um, but necessary character. Yeah, she's definitely a necessary character. I wouldn't call her a main character though. She's an important. I have a special place in my heart for Mr. Bennett. Mr. Bennett is like my favorite person ever. He is so no, fantastic. No, he is so passive and he is so, he's such a pushover. I think his only purpose in this, the entire plot, the entire theme of the novel is how being too passive creates some interesting children. Mm -hmm. I think that's his whole role is a family dynamic period. Like, what else does he do? I like how we thought this was just going to be an introductory podcast and we weren't going to argue at all, but we about to argue. <laughs> I'm sorry. Because I really don't think he's passive. Well, okay. Yes, he's passive, but I don't think he's a pushover. He's definitely passive, but I don't think he's a pushover because the things that he says in response to Miss Bennett when she's speaking are so sarcastic. So yes, he's very passive. Uh, well, and I could argue that he is the character that shows us that the Bennett family is not traditional because it is clear that Mrs. Bennett wears the pants. Oh, yeah. Very clear. And I feel like Elizabeth Bennett's character is very, uh, oh, God, what is the word that I'm looking for? Ahead of her time. Like him. I think Elizabeth is just like her father. So very ahead of the time. So I think that his purpose also serves to show that their family was not traditional in in this time period or for this time period because Mrs. Bennett wears the pants and his yeah. daughters are very progressive is the word that I'm looking for. Yeah, Some and like others. they definitely know the social norms. They just don't follow, follow them. them at all. Like Mr. Bennett just doesn't give a, a care in the, he does not care. Okay, there we go. He's outnumbered. He's outnumbered. He's definitely uh, outnumbered, but I really, I just don't think he cares. He does not care about what people think, and I feel like Elizabeth gets that from him. Um, right. I feel like she's just like him, and that's why she's his favorite daughter. Um, you think she's the favorite? Oh, she's definitely the favorite. I have that highlighted, starred, underlined, circled all so over that first page. I guess back to the thing, the point was, <laughs> we got <laughs> on, a, on a rabbit trail. Oops. There are lots of different characters, all of them being necessary characters. 
But as you read, uh, the main characters will kind of uh, reveal themselves and we'll start following those specific characters. Um, but at first glance, it, the book is it's not going in the direction that you think it is, I guess you could say. Plot twist. Dun dun. Um, you like my sound effects? Um, so we've got our first impressions of like who we thought the main characters were. And then as we read, um, I have this note here. What are our first impressions of the actual main characters? So as we're reading the first couple of chapters, what are our first impressions of Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy? Oh, okay. Well, Elizabeth, I, I love Elizabeth. I, I love her too. Just have, I feel like I have so much in common with her, even though this is a completely different era. Uh, again, I think she's progressive. I think she's witty. I think she's sassy. I like that she is not the typical Victorian pretty girl pushover. Um, and, you know, I'm like, Mr. Darcy, all right. <laughs> okay, my brain is romanticizing Mr. Darcy, but in reality, I can be very crass. So in my reality, if Mr. Darcy came at me sideways, nah. we, would have a, we would have a problem. Like, I would tell him about himself. Can you imagine, like, being at that part? Like, put yourself in Elizabeth's shoes. In chapter, what is it, chapter two, they're at the ball. Um, or it might be chapter three. Uh, they're at the ball, and she's sitting there, and she overhears Mr. Bingley and Mr. Darcy talking. And he's like, eh, she's handsome. Which, I mean, back then, would like, she's pretty. She's pretty, but... Not for me. I don't think she's that pretty, and she's got too much of a mouth on her, if you know what I mean. Right. And she overhears this. Like, would I, if I were in her position, would I walk up to him and say something, or would I be in my feelings? I, I think, I don't know. So, in my reality, what? if I had to interact with Mr. Darcy in a real-life scenario, and he came at me sideways, I'm going to have to tell him about himself. But because I know the outcome of their love story, oh, I just really like Mr. Darcy. But like you as a person, I feel like you would be walking up to him and be like, excuse me, what would you say about me? Right, like, hmm, you got something to say? No, oh, that's what I thought. You talking about me? You talking about me, son? <laughs> we go fight. You go catch these hands. Look, you about to get embarrassed. <laughs> So but like Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy, do you I share my same sentiment? Um, so my first impression of Elizabeth is she's a total can't say that on this podcast. Um, she is a you know what? I'm just gonna say it because why not? She's a total badass. Um, yes, she is. I love she, her. She doesn't care. At all. And, like, that's where I was getting at with Mr. Bennett. Like, that's why she takes after her father. She doesn't care what people think about her. She doesn't care what people say about her family. Like, after she has that encounter with Mr. Darcy or lack of an encounter with Mr. Darcy at the party, she just goes off to her friends and she laughs about it. Like, she's just standing there joking about it with her friends. And I think that's just totally amazing because I don't think I would have been able to do that. Um... I, when I was in high school, I tried to, I didn't like, Elizabeth was like my role model. I wanted to be like her, but no matter how much I try, I really think I'm more of a Jane. <laughs> yeah, Jane definitely wears her heart on her sleeve and is definitely more emotional. She doesn't hide her emotions as well, but I'm yeah. like, me being the 
psychoanalyst that I am, like, I know that Elizabeth Spinnett is completely capable of, of having emotions and feelings. I just yeah. think that she's really great at masking those emotions and feelings through comic relief and sassiness. Yeah, and whereas I would love to admire, I love it. I would love to be like that. I would love to be like Elizabeth Bennett and just like be able to not wear everything I'm feeling on my face. But honestly, I'm, I'm the older I get, the more I realize I am more of a Jane than I ever wanted to be. But now like my first impression of Elizabeth is she's a total badass. Number one, um, that she can just be above all of the gossip and the talk and go off and make a joke about, somebody making fun of her. I think that's amazing. Um, I love her for that. My first impression of Mr. Darcy straight up, and you will see it in my annotations, rude. He's a rude boy. I don't like him. He's so rude and obnoxious. I'm like, can you just be nice for two seconds? Be nice. And he can't. He can't do it. Oh, I don't know. I, I, Again, first impression, first impression, first few chapters. We're not talking about later on where we know he's actually a nice boy. True, true. Is he really actually a nice boy? I don't know. I feel like he's still. I can't say anything without giving spoilers. No, we can't spoil anything. Um, I just, you know, I sit and think, and this could be a whole a whole other podcast. But like, you have all the sisters, and all the sisters are so different. And you'll like you'll see as you read that the sisters are so different in their personalities. And I do think that On every um, level. you know she did a really good job in writing those characters and developing developing them and showing the audience and the reader just how different they are. But it's like they all grew up in the same household, and even if we just focus on Jane and Elizabeth. They're complete opposites. You have the very timid, quiet, emotional Jane and the outspoken, seemingly crass Elizabeth. But how did they? How are they so different? But they're also best friends. I really feel like that's why you and I are friends because yeah. you're, you're Elizabeth and I'm Jane. <laughs> <laughs> I just—it's crazy how they've grown up together. Which I think we talked about doing a podcast about birth order and how that might affect the different yeah. attitudes of the sisters, but. Well, and I feel like anybody with siblings knows that this is pretty much exactly the way households are when you have a bunch of siblings. Um, and I feel like Jane Austen, she embodies that so well because she was a sibling. Like she had, what, seven brothers and sisters. So she knows how different siblings can be. And I feel like that's why she pretty much got hit the nail on the head when it comes to how different. Right, developing their characters throughout the novel. Mm -hmm. You can see the little nuances that make them unique and different. And and like kind of shows that they're not all the typical Victorian woman, prim, proper, that they have different personality traits and different ways that they deal with their emotions and, and relationships and family dynamic. I just thought it was really great. Anyway, another rabbit trail because I could talk all day about <laughs> What's our name? Okay. Keep me in line. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs> I'm too much of a Jane. <laughs> I'll just sit here and listen. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, because I could seriously sit here and talk about Pride and Prejudice all day long too. Because oh my God, it's just great. Um, 
so last one, last point. Um, what, and I, I kind of did this on purpose because I knew you would have like a really strong opinion on this. Oh, you want to fight today. No, because I completely, I'm going to agree with your opinion on this 100%. <laughs> Do you want to fight me? Do you want to touch your hands? Come on and touch these hands. <laughs> All right, what we got? Come on, we're ready. I'm ready to argue. <laughs> I can't. I need a minute. <laughs> that was perfect. Um, uh, <clears throat> what is your first impression of the first line of chapter one? And I'm a, I'm a show my English chops here real quick and let's see if I can do it because I did it a few minutes ago and I quoted the entire thing without looking at anything. <clears throat> it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a great fortune is in want of a wife. Yay! Okay, That's now mostly what it is anyway. So um, what, what is your opinion or your first impression of that line. Okay, if we want to go with word choice, well, let's speak on the word choice, want of a wife, not need of a wife. Those are two completely different things, right? Want so wife, are we dissecting this? I'm, oh, I'm going, I'm going in. Because if we're dissecting this, then, then there are, oh gosh, so many words, so many words. So like a truth, a truth, Let's think about this. A truth means that, that it is a fact, not an opinion. Number one, you have Mr. Bingley, who, yes, I would say he is definitely in want of a wife because he pretty much danced with every girl at the ball in the like the third chapter. Mr. Darcy, on the other hand, is quite clearly not in want of a wife at all. Like he's or any type of committed relationship. He just wants to be left alone. So, truth, mm, strong word in there, Dane Austin. Right, and now, now it says universally acknowledged by everyone. Universally. No, okay, no. In <laughs> time period, yes. Japan, probably not. That's part of our universe. Surely they don't universally acknowledge that rich dudes want wives. That's not a thing that's universally acknowledged. A lot of rich dudes want to live the bachelor life and park in all the spaces for our last podcast. <laughs> so Their relationship is like searching for a parking place. They just kind of park everywhere. Let's take the three parking spots at once. And it says a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Possession of a good fortune, a good fortune is subjective, objective. What a good, what's a good fortune to you? Mm, I'm going with Mr. Darcy's income with uh, that 10,000 pounds per year. Hello, how you doing? Sorry, <laughs> a good fortune meaning money. Mm. Money's not everything. So she, I mean, basically, she's saying rich dudes want wives. We also have to think about the the wording of the time period because pretty much any time somebody said fortune during Land. the Regency period, they were talking about money. Money, property, homes. Yep. Assets, right? Yep. Okay, but if I'm dirt poor, 
right? Dirt poor, then good fortune to me may be a nice farm, a home done, right? Just somewhere to live that's better right. than the shack I'm living in right now. If I'm middle income, right, middle class, then I might aim a little higher and I might think that good fortune is a little bit more than that. So I just think that's very relative. Which way, and to put this in perspective, um, middle class or good, like medium sized fortune would be somewhere along the lines of um, the Bennett's because Mr. Bennett brings home about 2000 pounds per year. To Mr. Darcy's. Yeah, versus Mr. Darcy's 10,000 pounds a year. And which Mr. Bingley is thought to be super rich as well. And he only brings in about four to only. He only brings in about four to 5,000 pounds per year, um, which that is considered a pretty good size fortune. Um, well, and given, think about like even today, super, super wealthy men, they're looking for a specific type of woman. Most of the, the fakest, most silicone Barbie doll thing you can find doesn't need to have a brain cell at all. Just just, needs just to, smart enough to be a trophy wife. Just needs to look the part, right? Mm -hmm. And then, either that or they're bachelors and they're not looking to get married at all. Right. And then they're, this trying, they're trying to park in all the spaces. Must be in want of a wife. If they have good fortune, they don't need a wife. No, because they have people to take care of their household. They have people to, you know, cook their meals and clean up after them and prepare their horses and do all that junk. Um, yeah, they have servants. They really just need somebody to manage their household, which um, they could pay somebody to do. They could pay a servant to do that. They don't need a wife for that. They want a wife. So, okay. And then the whole point is our main male character is Mr. Darcy. It is clearly evident throughout the novel that he's not looking for a committed relationship. Like, like he actually thinks he's trying to avoid it at all costs yeah. until his heart says, no, you idiot, you can't ignore me anymore. Yep. And he falls for... So, it's spoiler alert, he falls for Elizabeth. Uh, in the first time. It's a complete paradox. And it, it hits him as a total surprise. Like, he is completely surprised when he falls in love. He's like, oh, my God, where did this come from? What is this feeling? I don't like it. Well, Both of them are. So there are so many words in there, so many, like, superlatives universally. This is a truth. They must be in want of a wife. That she's almost trying to make it seem as if this is the truth. This is a solid fact. This is just completely an opinion. But I think it was intentional. Honestly, if you ask me, and this is from going back and reading it again, because um, after we read it in class yesterday, I went back and I read chapters one through four again. Honestly, if you ask me, I think Jane Austen was being sarcastic. Absolutely. Again, I think it was totally intentional. I think the first four chapters of this novel are so loaded with sarcasm. It's ridiculous. Like so sarcasm and irony. Like instead of it reading, it's a truth universally acknowledged that a man in possession of good fortune must be in want of a wife. It would be, it's a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of good fortune must be in want of a wife. Like, yes. I feel like that is how it needs to be read because honestly, 
Jane, first of all, Jane Austen stayed single until the day she died. Hello, no man. Exactly. She did not. She did not. So then, this is like a question that's rolling around in my brain, right? The wording says "in want of a wife" versus "in need of a wife." But as a woman, you want to be needed or wanted. You want somebody to marry you because they want to marry you, not because they need you. Oh, hands down, I like that's one conversation that me and my husband had before we even got married. I was like, "Look, I don't care if you need me or not." I want to know if you want me. Do you want me in this relationship? Because if you don't want me in this relationship, bye. Right. So I think that speaks volumes because Mr. Darcy did not pursue Elizabeth Bennett because he needed her. He pursued her in the end because he wanted her. So that's completely... That honestly, honestly, I feel like he, he did both. He, he wanted her, but straight up this man needed her because somebody needed to put that boy in his place and elizabeth was the one she was the one to do it <laughs> right like he just i mean i know that he needed her to ground him but his personality he seemed very pretentious and like i don't need anybody like mm -hmm. i amassed this fortune on my own i'm wealthy i have yeah. it all i you know um, and I, and he, had a sister. Vulnerable. I he had a sister to manage his household, so he didn't really need anybody to manage his household either because he had a sister and he had servants. So he didn't need her for domestic tasks. He needed her to feel whole and complete, but he sought her out because he, he wanted her. So yes. Yes, could work, it could work in favor of the novel, Yep. Too, that rich men only seek out women they want, not women they need because they don't need anybody. Yep. So I, lo I love Jane Austen. Her wording and her sarcasm and irony are just above and beyond. She was so so before her time, which I say that about almost every author we read in British lit, like Shakespeare with his jokes and stuff before his time. But Jane Austen was definitely also before her time because not only was she. Um, <laughs> My husband said, why doesn't a poor man need a wife? <laughs> well, the quote, Joshua, is, it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of good fortune must be in want of a wife. So rich men have to want a wife. So why don't poor yep. men have to want a wife? Poor men need a wife. Good for real. They need some help. Poor men. Rich men can pay people to cook their food and clean their house and... and and some men that don't need a cook. <laughs> Y'all. We're talking about Jane Austen, the Victorian era. They're probably getting a freaking <laughs> bowl and egg, star fire. They could, though. Men have been chilling animals and cooking for years. Hey, Macintosh, you up? Special guest, Macintosh, you up? My husband. <laughs> <laughs> poor man needs love, too. <laughs> <laughs> we can do without it. Oh, men could do without women altogether. Okay, Mr. Darcy, told y'all. I mean, that could go both ways, you know. <laughs> uh, all right, then. Well, I have Amazon and Netflix. I don't need no man. <laughs> I don't need no woman. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I got this. <laughs> Don't tell my husband I said that. 
Oh, yeah. All right, well, um, hope you learned something. If not, we have fun, we have fun anyway. anyway. Bye, y'all. See you later. Bye.